And who better to have help make that transition than the people who know those industries the closest? And we had spoken about this. If you take an engineer from the oil industry, and I know because many of my colleagues were doing this, they are so passionate about taking the first steps of decarbonization and then moving to new technologies and, and renewables and helping make that a reality sooner rather than later. Because despite, you know, you see these people who say like, stop oil now. Well, you know, the sentiment I totally agree with, the practicalities of that is it's not that simple. Welcome to Stories for the Future, a podcast on a mission to get you excited and optimistic about the future, filled with challenges, but also so full of opportunities. My name is Veselmeik Lavnes Berge, and I'm trying to figure out how we can all live good lives, have exciting jobs, and at the same time, take good care of the planet and everyone living here. I want to unlock the superpowers of everyday people so that together we can co-create a future we're all excited about. With almost 8 billion superheroes on this planet, there's no way we couldn't make it. So let's start. It's game on. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Stories for the Future. I know that it has been a, a break, a longer break than I had planned, because this funny thing happened. I, I, my idea was to not not take a real break during summer or during July, because then it would <laughs> be so hard to get back into my routine. And I I stuck to my plan. I made an episode through the summer, but then August came with a bang. And suddenly I had so little time for podcasting and the break that I maybe should have taken in July just forced itself into my calendar in August. So I will figure it out. I will find a Uh, schedule maybe not every week but maybe every second week we'll see but today I have a very special guest for you this is a powerhouse of a woman and I'm personally so happy that I have found her and for sure I'm absolutely certain that I will keep in touch with her going forward Her name is Joanne Thurlow, and she is such a perfect example of someone who has recently made a shift in her career, but are leveraging all her knowledge and experience in a way that I'm absolutely certain will have a huge positive impact. So let me tell you a little bit about Joanne. With more than 30 years in the tech industry, Joanne Thurlow has extensive knowledge of today's IT industry and innovations enabling digital transformation on a global level. Joanne's primary focus is on digital business transformation through tech-enabled sustainable solutions. 
She is an active partner and senior advisor with Strategy and Transformation Consulting, which is a consulting group with more than 500 employees worldwide. She has lived and worked internationally for years and for the past decade, she has worked for Siemens Energy Solutions as a, as a global head of IT and driving large-scale transformation projects across this global organization. Joanne is also very actively volunteering, especially within the work to get more women and girls into technology. She is the executive board director with Digital ILO Man. She's a committee member of Love Tech, a charity which is promoting STEM careers for girls and young women. She's a global speaker. And I could go on, but we will get back to all of this later. But you see what I mean? A powerhouse. I must say that I also find it extremely interesting to talk to people who come from an industry well known for its carbon footprint. I really think that they, and I should say we, I have to include myself in this group, have a very important perspective to bring to the table. It's about building bridges and finding common ground. And it's about transitions and big, big changes. So enough from me. Here is Joanne Thurlow. Welcome to Stories for the Future, Joanne. And thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yes. And uh, the way we met, uh, we are both part of this fantastic community called the Portfolio Collective. So that's how we got in touch. And it was actually because I mentioned in there that I'm very interested in people who have made transitions that your name immediately came up and like, you should talk to Joanne. So, uh, and uh, after the first conversation we had before summer, I totally agree. Uh, so we will soon get to know you a little bit better. But first, where are you? Like on the map, it's always um, great to place people. Yes, and and I have moved around a lot in my career. So yeah. currently, I am living in the Isle of Man, um, which is part of Great Britain, not um, the UK specifically. It's one of the Channel Islands, and it sits in the middle of the Irish Sea between Ireland and the UK, if you will. Um, yeah. So yeah, little island, 80,000 people, and I just moved over a year and a half ago. Mm, nice. Love it. Oh, great. <laughs> but you're actually from Canada, right? I am. Yes, yeah. I am from Canada. Um, I grew up on the East Coast and then had spent uh, 15 years in Ontario. And then I made, which we'll talk a little bit about um, in, in more detail, the transition and I moved to the UK in 2005, and then from there to Norway, Germany, and now the Isle of Man. Yeah. So yeah, it's a been real an exciting like journey. Global, global citizen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a very good word for for it. It is being a global citizen. It is. Yes. So my keywords um, from after the first time we we spoke uh, are sustainability and ESG, women in tech, transitions, and how to see challenges as opportunities. And I'm very excited to talk about all of these, but first we need a little background. So who are you? Okay, so um, I'm Joanne Thurlow, and um, as mentioned, I'm from Canada. 
I am 59 and I have um, transitioned from my career from living in Canada where I was at the director level to where I'm at today. So I work in the, I am a woman in tech, I'm a public speaker. I am a Digital Olive Man board member, non-executive board member. And what that entails is setting the digital strategy for the Olive Man from with the, in partnership with the government. Um, and what most people would not realize about the Olive Man is that a third of the GDP actually comes from the digital industry, mm-hmm. the tech industry. So it's quite pronounced here on the island as it were. So yeah, I, I do that. I'm also a volunteer. I do, I'm part of a love tech charity here on the island that promotes STEM to young kids, particularly young girls. Mm. I get involved with things like that. And and um, I'm very passionate about promoting women in tech and, mm. and uh, STEM. So, yeah. 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 Uh, that's uh, very interesting. I'm very passionate about women in tech as well. <laughs> so yeah. we will get back to that. But you have like technology is a, is a big keyword here. So you yeah. have more than 30 years, as I mm-hmm. could see, of experience from the tech industry. And yes. you have many years behind you in uh, from Siemens Energy. Uh, is that the same as Siemens Oil and Gas? Is that the new? It had it? it had been Siemens Oil and Gas, um, and then in 2020, in the midst of COVID, we did an IPO and separated from Siemens AG. So instead of being a division of Siemens AG, we became a standalone company, um, and then renamed it as Siemens Energy. So okay. um, yeah. yeah. That's good. So now, now you have recently transitioned to more independent work, more independently, and more as a portfolio uh, professional. Yes. Um, so, what can you tell us about this transition? What what brought it on, and how has it been? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. So I'm six months into that transition. So at Siemens Energy, I'd been with Siemens ten years. Um, at the last seven, Siemens Energy is global head of IT for the solutions business unit. And the solutions business unit generates around a billion in revenue a year. It's involved with multiple vertical markets and oil and gas, um, onshore, offshore oil and gas being one of the big ones, marine, subsea, and a few others. But effectively, I was responsible for um, when I left, 3,700 employees in 40 countries uh, managing the IT from a, both the strategic, the tactical, and the operational perspective around that, uh, delivering against it. And to be fair, I mean, I have worked with some of the absolute most amazing people in my career, and Siemens and Siemens Energy is just a fantastic company to be working with. Mm. What I found in the last few years, however, is that things were becoming more focused from my capacity on the operational side of things. However, we're very much as an energy company, we're very focused on sustainability, ESG, and having an impact. And my interests, as I started to do more public speaking, started to shift from that inward focus. And and yes, what I was doing was definitely have an impact on how the business itself operated, which indirectly would benefit the decarbonization and the digitalization of the energy industry, but I really wanted to have a more pivotal, hands-on role to be Mm -hmm. able to impact that um, 
more directly with companies and, and smaller companies like SMEs or, or organizations that may be a little bit larger because they also need to go down that route. And the experience that I have um, across so many areas, I, I'm, I'm, sometimes I've, I've been referred to as like a Swiss army knife um, in that I can look at the challenges a business or organization has, and I can look at it from many different perspectives and sort of connect those dots because there is a lot of complexity in the overall topic and, and I can help people sift through and pull out what's really relevant for them. So I left in, in February of this year. So as I said, it's been about six months and I'm, I will soon launch my website next month, joetherlow.com. And um, I am focusing on doing the consulting and advising to both on shore, sorry, on island and off island to different companies and organizations as they start to look at how digital transformation meets ESG mm-hmm. and taking it not only from the from the strategic viewpoint, but getting it down into how do I make that real in my business and what's relevant for me. So that's what I'm working with. There's a lot of excitement building up around it in in a number of different areas. Um, And I'm just so passionate about it. I, I really, to be able to be in a position where I can take my experiences, my wealth, and whether I'm talking about women in tech or STEM or sustainability and share that with others, and help them move down that path. That's what really gets me motivated and jazzed yeah. up. So yeah, it's really exciting. You know? Did you did you have that conversation with yourself before you made the decision that like, where do, do I have the most impact? Is it by staying where I am or is it by, did you struggle <laughs> I did with that? I didn't struggle with it too much. I mean, leaving the corporate world and all of the security and being a part of that. I mean, it's not just the security from a financial aspect or any of the rest, but the security of the the organization that you're a part of to stepping Mm -hmm. out and being an independent and a solo. You know, that is a little bit of a deep, deep breath. But I have been planning on making this type of a transition for a number of years Mm -hmm. where I really wanted to be out on my own and doing my own thing. Um, I'm not the type of person to go into a job and say, you know, it's a job for life. That's never been no. me. Um, mm. Clearly, with just moving around countries, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like means I like to sort of change things up a little bit. Yeah. And and I think that was part of it for me as well in making the decision now. When you look at the marketplace and where it is and what's coming, because a lot of organizations post COVID are talking about and and doing digital transformation. And their sustainability is there on the horizon of something. Is it just marketing? Is it something I can really do? But within three to five years, if they aren't able to show that they're sustainable through ESG and reporting methods, they are at risk in their own Mm. marketplaces from, from their customers or clients. You say you say on your LinkedIn profile, and just as you just said now that your your primary focus now is on digital business transformation through tech enabled sustainable solutions. And as I also read on your, I think it was on your um, portfolio uh, profile that there's these really two really huge transitions happening at once now, like the digital transformation technology and the data generated from it. And there's climate change with all its 
challenges and threats. So, and you showed me the last time we talked, uh, you showed me this really interesting uh, uh, mind map diagram uh, where you are mapping digital transformation and sustainability and showing the complexity and how it's interconnected uh, in so many ways. What thoughts do you have on on sustainability and technology? Uh, and tell us about this this project. Yeah, and 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 using um, the mind map, I think, as a as a way to put it, because it is so complex when you get into these topics, mm. um, and there's so many aspects, and which elements are relevant to you can depend on predominantly your type of business, and mm. and so it has to be scalable and kept in that context. The, um, the 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 big transitions we have is the digital transformation meeting climate change as you've just mentioned, and then then what becomes the real cornerstone of all of that is the data. It sits at the core. Mm. But when you get into talking about this subject, there's so many aspects that you need to think about. So first you have the digital transformation. Um, then you're thinking about the technologies that you might be making use of. You need solid data strategies and data management plans around that clean data, master data, so on. You need to think about the latest innovations that are happening out in the marketplace, whether it's new types of energies that can be used or new technologies that can be used as well and how they can be be applied. You need to look at all the issues around sustainability and understand what does that mean for you? It could be something as simple as changing your light bulbs in your organization, the LED to save energy, or it could be very complex if you're in a manufacturing and you're talking raw materials that are maybe coming out of mining. How do you measure that? So there's there's quite a lot there, which type mm-hmm. of reporting you want to use or should use for your stakeholders or your investors and so on. There's all the macro and micro trends that are happening around the world to keep track of. So as we're seeing right now, certainly is the whole energy crisis that's coming, particularly from the Ukraine war. Mm. And that has a direct impact on on what you'll be doing. Also, the different types of energies and the energy transition itself. And, uh, you know, obviously there's talk about renewables um, and the fossil fuels, but what's happening and, and realistically, how can you bring those into your organization? So quick example on that, a conversation with a business here on the island. They're in an old building. It's a a level two listed building. And they are not in a position to put solar panels on Mm -hmm. on things. They would like to have some renewable energy as part of it. But, you know, it's not necessarily the business case or the opportunity is not there. So you need to take these into consideration. And also, um, what industry are you in? Because different industries are impacted um, uh, more so than others or larger contributors to climate change. And then also your organizational metrics. What's important for you to be measuring within your organization? Mm. Um, and and again, if I'm a SME, an accounting firm, a small legal firm, or I'm a, you know, a Siemens Energy or Siemens Health and Air, any other global multinational, and that really gets complex because then you're also taking into consideration where you're at regionally and, and country-wise in all of those reporting. And that's a lot for people to take in. And they don't, they they know sustainability is important. They know climate change is something. But I'm finding with a lot of people saying, how can I realistically have an impact? And some of what they can do 
there's not these big changes of the renewable energies and so on. Yes, that's a possibility and needs to be considered. But just going into their own organization, and where I take it from the tech side, is to take a look at what are you doing from the tech? What are you doing from your IT side? IT, depending upon the size of an organization, of course, can contribute to up to 25% of the energy use in any given organization. However, it's not often flagged as IT because that comes in as facilities. So if you start to take a look at the different things you do with your computers, so maybe you have an automatic power down in the evenings so that it's turned off to not just in sleep mode, um, virtualization of your servers rather than physical servers, updating equipment. There's lots of little steps even small companies can make that can have an impact. And um, I am working towards a, a, a training program and some webinars on this, which will be released later on in, in the autumn around this topic. So this is, is work in progress at this point in time. But it's amazing how just those little tweaks that you can make in your business and at home can have a big impact on sustainability for yourself, particularly with energy, which, you know. Yeah, it's very interesting. And it's I, critical for all of us at the moment. Yeah. We have to have the conversation now in tandem. Many companies mm -hmm. are working on their digital transformations. They're not thinking at the same time, well, what am I going to need to do from the tech perspective? And the risk of that is such a classic IT um, challenge where you start with a series of you know, projects and, and you know, there's a lot of cost and time and effort put into them. And then you get a few years down the road and then you're changing that all up again. You know, I'm, I'm advocating in, in my conversations with others is that is the IT leaders, it is very much incumbent on us to be going to our management teams and having those conversations that say, not only do we need to look at this now, like the digital transformation, but in and parallel and part of that should be how are we also going to do the measuring in the ESGs? Because then you're much more effective in the strategy. And it isn't just rush down and say, well, you know, with COVID and we didn't have enough things online and we want to get everything online and, and that's important. But sometimes it's worthwhile to step back, catch your breath, look at the bigger picture and then go about the planning. There's plenty of areas where you can get quick wins when you're doing a digital transformation, but there should be that bigger overall strategy. And that, in, in my experience and opinion, has to reflect the ESG aspects of it. Because again, what fuels one is fueling the other, and that is the data at the very core. Mm -hmm. And if there's one area where companies can really optimize, um, it's definitely in their data. <laughs> yeah. It's always a struggle, you know. And, and again, there's costs, inherent cost savings to be had, even though companies may have to put some effort into managing and coming up with that data strategy to begin with. Mm. Uh, I can um, I can just feel when I think and I, I try to put myself in the in the shoes of all the companies like and especially perhaps the SMEs um, that they can feel you have all these changes happening at the same time that they can get really overwhelmed <laughs> and uh, there's this like um, not discussion per perhaps but like conversations uh, in Norway these days about uh, how to 
how to use like how how should the um, the um, percentage of carrot versus stick uh, be used when it comes to getting companies to to change and implement the changes that they need to to do what do you think about that because i i'm a very much an advocate for using the carrot because i think they can get scared to to even try if they're yeah what do you think about uh, that I, i i would agree and i think for a lot of smes it's such a scary big topic and so many unknowns and and to be fair a lot of the smes um they don't have, they may not, I shouldn't say that they don't have, they may not have their own IT leads. They could be outsourcing the IT management to someone as well. So mm. we don't even have that. And most IT leaders or, or managers today don't understand that they have to start making these connections either. So it really is early days. Um, I do think in some cases, I lick you. I prefer the carrot. Um, in the companies and organizations I'm speaking to, the majority, I say the approach is carrot. There are some, and, and um, I have a meeting with one today, that's probably going to be more stick um, mm-hmm. because they think, well, isn't it just marketing hype? You know, mm-hmm. and, and what am I going to do? Is it really going to make an impact? Mm-hmm. You know, for my company, I work on on small margins and revenues, and you want or are saying that I should be investing in all of this, doesn't it become a cost center for me rather than a profit opportunity? And, and I think there, again, the education and awareness becomes really important. Um, going sustainable does not have to be overly complicated. You can't have steps along the way. Mm. Again, scalability is so critical to it. There are definitely cost-saving opportunities there is the perception of the market. And, um, and I think that's really very important is to understand that the market perceptions or expectations around companies to be able to show they have some type of sustainability program is going to be critical. And it can be a real differentiator going forward as to whether you're attracting the talent in, the new employees or your employees stay. It will impact your investors or um, stakeholders. If you're a small company privately held, it can um, impact how your customers or your suppliers will deal with you going forward. So I really believe that Organizations have to be thinking and looking at this. They have to be prepared to say, here's what I'm doing. Sustainability, say I'm a local restaurant down on the waterfront. How can I be sustainable? I'm a small private business, right? My energy costs are going up, so on and so on. It could be in the way that you handle your recycling. It could be paper straws, instead of plastic straws. It can be change your lighting output, LED lights. In the daytime, turn off the lights when it's bright enough so that you know, you're know you saving that energy um, and then turn it on when you need to. So there's little things that you can do along the way that can make a con- considerable difference. And one, you're saying, yes, I'm taking ESG you know, um, seriously and I'm taking sustainability seriously and I'm doing my part. And, and that speaks to this whole thing when companies say or businesses say, well, really, is it going to make a difference? Certainly here on the Isle of Man, I hear this a lot. 
we're an island of 80,000 people. If you're talking global warming, what impact are we going to have? Mm. And the analogy I use is like, if you have a bucket and you're filling it up with water, but it has holes in the bottom. Mm. Yes, some of that water is going to start to drain out. But if you fill that bucket, maybe a spoonful at a time or a cup at a time, eventually you'll fill the bucket, even if there's still some drops coming out at the bottom. And, and you'll get that, that momentum going until you, you have it filled. And to me, when we talk about every little bit helps, or every little bit contributes towards it, to me, that's the type of analogy that comes to mind mm. in terms of visualizing that. It does have an overall impact. Yes. And and also, where do you set the limit? You're 80,000 on the island. In Norway, we have the same a thing that people say that yeah. what does it matter we're just five million so where do you actually set the, the limit for where you have an impact so but i yeah. think norway and and it's interesting being here on the island because i having lived in norway for a couple of years mm. um i have often made references to some of the lessons that can be learned from what Norway itself has done in terms of electric vehicles. And it's mm. not that electric vehicles are the be-all and end-all. They have their own carbon footprints, but in terms of rolling it out and implementing it, that has a, a big impact. And certainly it gets raised. People have said to me, well, you know, Norway is hardly the example given where they're at with oil. Mm. True, there's the oil, but the oil industry in Norway is working very hard towards sustainability and, and decarbonization. And I know that because obviously one of our main businesses were, uh, you know, um, mm. solutions in Norway itself. But there are a lot of other things that Norway is doing that is, I think, best practice. The geothermal, um, as, as that's getting implemented, the hydro, there's so much work being done around renewables the electric ferries and, and, and so on. So, you know, I think it, it yeah. again, it's like that bucket. Now, people will criticize Norway about the oil and gas. However, they're doing so much more to offset that as they transition away from the oil and gas industries mm -hmm. and the reliance on it more. So, yes. And we'd be a little bit lost without Norway right now, wouldn't we, with the energy crisis? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a heated discussion about that as well. So, but so this uh, actually is a very good transition to my next next topic, which is about transitions and ch challenge seeing challenges as opportunities. Um, so one thing is as an individual on the individual level, how we approach changes and disruptions in our personal life and and career life. Um, Another thing is how we approach it as a society. So for instance, we, we have both like a history from very fossil fuel intensive uh, industries, and we have seen both uh, sides and perhaps we uh, possess some important insights. I don't know on how we can best bridge this, like these sometimes really huge gaps between I don't know what to call it really, but beliefs or uh, opposing sides. Uh, so what what are your thoughts about? I know that we talked a little bit about this the last times. So that's why I'm asking because instead of uh, making this transition really hard and like uh, I'm banging my heads against each other, it's hard for the listeners to see, but like this just uh stuck uh not a conversation 
Uh, how, what are your thoughts on this? I think I, th I think this is a very important point. Um, change is always scary for most people, whether you're talking personally or you're talking at a societal level or business level or whatever. And it's that fear of the unknown and am I going to be able to manage it? Mm. Now, um, can I take care of it? So when you get into making that type of a change and, and the challenges that go there, I think it's important with the mindset as well as to what you see can be. And, you know, you said challenges into opportunities. And there are people who are comfortable in their lane, you know, whether that's an individual or a society or business or whatever, that they can be very comfortable in their lane. You know, it's not too tough. It's not it's 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 there's not enough pressure for me to want to get out of my lane mm. you know and if you're driving and you know you see those people that get in the middle of the light of the three-lane highway and just kind of set to the speedometer and then that's it right and they just don't want to yeah. shift and you know if you come up behind tailgate they get oh wait a minute wait a minute you know what are you doing and you get those that are in the fast lane and just going hey let's go see what's coming down that road and get down there as quickly as we can um, I'm probably more that type of a person than those that take even longer. Um, and, and it's finding that that thought process that says to you, you know, I'll deal with whatever comes up. I can make that transition happen. And sometimes it's difficult to do it, make no mistake, and, and, and sometimes making those transitions. So if I've been an engineer in the oil industry for say 30 years and we had talked a little bit about this mm. you know I, and it's like in the agricultural industry there's a lot of negativity and they get a lot of blame for the climate crisis and, mm. and as such you know you're encouraging the the use of fossil fuels or you know the the whole farming industry and the food industry and, and the impact that that has globally um i'm of the mindset that the majority of individuals and industries really do care about making those changes. Mm -hmm. um, they're very passionate about it. And who better to have help make that transition than the people who know those industries the closest? And we had spoken about this. If mm -hmm. you take an engineer from the oil industry, and I know because many of my colleagues were doing this, they are so passionate about taking the first steps of decarbonization and then moving to new technologies and, and renewables and helping make that a reality sooner rather than later. Because despite, you know, you see these people who say like, stop oil now. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the sentiment I totally agree with, the practicalities of that is it's not that simple. Mm -hmm. And so the sooner we can transition from oil to the renewables, and those engineers, those professionals working in that industry are absolutely committed to making that happen. Um, and, and they have the knowledge to help make that happen faster. And I think we need to look at that and say, hey, can you be part of the solution? Don't, don't ostracize them or demonize mm. them by any means. You know, bring them into the conversation. Listen to what they have to say because they can help you make it a practical transition. Mm. And that holds true for personal transitions in your careers as well. You know, if you're really looking to make a major shift in your career, you need to get out and start to talk to the people. You need to understand how you can take your skills and bring them over into another area. So, you know, whether you're talking the, the business, the industry, or the individual, um, 
I think the way you look at it has to change. And, you know, I think those people who like to sit in the middle lane are going to find that they're going to get pushed into one lane or the other in, yeah. in due course. So better off to be prepared for it than have it happen to you. That way you're controlling it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess the, the big question is how uh, how to to create those uh, spaces where we can have those conversations and actually uh, like there are these really stubborn opinions which are colliding today and then we can't even talk. So that's that's what I'm always like scratching my head trying to figure out how to, how can we create those uh yeah that's always a challenge um in my many years of working in the tech industry and you look at the different parts of an organization and you're working on a on a a project or your or a technical transformation project an IT transformation project and say you want to change all the processes of how they work mm. you know that group will say, well, yeah, you know, that's all well, but I I have, I work differently. I have something special over here. And once they get pushed into what the other team is saying, the same thing, but once they get sat down around the t- table, I think they start to find where are the main commonalities. Yeah. And you exactly. start the conversation. And in most cases, the commonalities or the goals are roughly the same. Um, there will be some exception to that, but I find they start the conversation thinking we're so far apart. Once they start to have the conversation, they realize we're much closer together than we thought we were in terms of the mindset. So then how do you facilitate those types of conversations? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, um, some of it can be grassroots. Some of it can be be, uh, higher level organizations in which you get the right people sitting around or invite people, you know, symposiums or things like that, where people can begin to have those conversations, but they need to go into it. I know that this is a, a topic that is so passionate for some, for, for a lot of people, um, but we have to stop and listen to all sides. And I think people mm. need to be reminded, you know, there's yeah. a lot of people who are out there advocating and they just become very militant and mm. get nowhere by being no. militant in, in the approach. No. And uh, it's also the thing that we we're in a like a time time in history that nobody have has done this before. <laughs> so, like claiming that you have the answer to how to solve this is a little bit. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, hard uh, hard to say that that for anybody. I think so. Uh, and I think that going back to where we were at the beginning of the conversation with, you know, the complexity in that mind map. Yes. No exactly. one person can know all of that no and 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 connect those dots and understand that for my organization and my data silos how does that play out across that entire scenario Mm. and and you're right you know we are all globally you know collectively stumbling our way through that and and you know so i think again we it's really important that we're working together on everything and having those open conversations you had a really great picture the last time we spoke about this, um, the dogs uh, pulling the, the sleigh. Do you remember? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> I, can yes. you share about that? Um, yeah, that's, that's, um, that's part of the book that I'm working on, on team management. 
as learned from the back of a dog sled. Yeah. And the 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 genesis of that is that back in Canada, I did have my own dog sled team. I had seven huskies and I loved nothing more than a minus 20 day in the bush with a team of dogs. But what I discovered is that each dog has his own personality and strengths and how you can bring that into the conversation. Then you have what their position is on the team. And some dogs are good at being leaders, natural leaders, some are better at, at, at really doing the heavy lifting and, and, and so on. And then you have the situations that you get faced with. And comparatively, you, you, you can use the different comparisons and, or analogies, I should say, is probably the better word, um, in terms of people and people management and team management and bringing that in and understanding how that relates. I mean, we've all had that colleague who has been with the organization forever and doesn't really do a lot, but loves to tell everybody else because they think they have all the snorty. Well, that would have been my alpha dog, Lakota. She mm-hmm. hated to run in, in harness, but she did not want to be left behind. So she'd go in the, in the basket on the sled and she'd scream at the other dogs the whole time we were running. And you'd see them occasionally look back at them like, what the hell? <laughs> And, and again, you can draw those analogies into the yeah. people so um, and, and people and the teams. And if you understand that, and, and even going back to this conversation, how do you get those teams to sit down and understand the differences? Is if you can also understand some of those dynamics and bring it into it. Um, I think that can help foster those conversations, as, as it were. So, yeah. yes. And Perfect. you might have gathered, I have a lot of things on the go right now. A lot of things in the pipeline. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's great. So uh, another thing that you're uh, passionate about uh, is um, women in tech. So uh, uh, I'm also really passionate about uh, passionate about uh, technology and girls and especially younger girls. I have boys myself, but I, yeah, I would like more girls to come into this space and you you work with this, so can you tell us what's the status? How are we doing? <laughs> it's improving. It is, it is. improving. Um, I do think it's a grassroots conversation. By sometimes it feels at least it's a conversation by conversation um, step um, or progress, and you know, or sometimes it's like sustainability. There's a lot of talk about what's really happening. Mm. Are we seeing more and more women going into the STEM industries? Absolutely. The challenge that we're seeing is that they're not staying in the STEM industries and for a lot of different reasons. And that, that generalization can vary regionally across the globe. Interestingly, we're seeing that the government policies of inclusion and so on and support in some of the um, Asian countries is very inclusive and very much driving a lot of women into the STEM industries. And they're having a major impact on what's happening. So a lot of that started with government policies and started to enable it. And then that has come down through so that they can get those women in and, and, and you know, some some women over in, in that part of the world that are really having an impact and major business successes and so on and so on. Whereas if we go sometimes into the Western countries, particularly in the US and, and Silicon Valley has a really bad reputation in terms of the number of women that end up leaving the tech industry, but it isn't just Silicon Valley by any means. It does get difficult. And 
it's 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 improving, but there is a lot of pressure. And that's why I get so passionate about speaking to women in tech to say, mm. you know what, when you're young, when you feel like an imposter, you don't have the confidence, you know, and I mean as as women, if we're we're being assertive, we're bossy or you know, and 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 that mm. type of thing. And and again, there's just so many conversations ongoing. So it is starting to change. It's a conversation that has to be done with women, but it also has to be done with men at the table at the yeah. same time. Yes. You know, it's not just their issue and it isn't just because of them. A lot of it is unconscious bias and and it's working on that and that's why that's why I'm involved with love tech here on the island is to really help promote and expose particularly young girls um, to the different different uh, opportunities that are in STEM and I met some amazing parents over the, over the course of this summer with some of the events we were having they have you know teenage daughters between the ages of say 12 to 15 really shown an interest in all of the different sub areas. So they're purposely taking them out and exposing them to as many areas of STEM so that they can understand how wide that hmm. possibility is for them, you know, and, and, and the different areas before making a decision where they want to go. And I've, I've seen this a few other times at events. And I just, I applaud those parents because they're right there. They recognize, that my daughter likes math, my daughter mm. likes science. Why? So how can I push her? How can I encourage her down this path and and not just say, well, you know, it's yeah, here's your frilly little pink dress. So yes. it has to start there. It yes. has to start with people like ourselves who get out there and talk about it. Mm. Um, whether it's the women in tech or it's, or, or it's the girls. Um, and certainly it has to come from the businesses and the organizations and policy. Everybody has a part to play in it. Mm. It is improving, but I think we need to do more to keep them. It is a bit of an alarming statistic in terms of the number of, of women that end up leaving the the industries. So yeah, that's not uh, we have to try to reverse that somehow. Yeah, we. I will. Uh, we'll have to share all, all the links to the 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 um, love tech, for instance, that you mentioned. I haven't heard about that before, so that's. Uh, it's a charity we have here on the Isle of Man. Um, and some of the women that are on this committee, I mean, I'm 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 so honored to be a part mm. of it. When I moved over to the island, and they had asked me to join, um, just really senior kick-ass women. Sorry for the language, but mm. just they really make things happen, and and just I'm I'm in awe of every one of them. They're so amazing, and and the passion that they bring to the topic as well. Um, it's just brilliant. So we might have something where we have a marine biologist, we have mentors. So maybe we invite a marine biologist in, maybe it's about weather. It could be all kinds of topics. And yeah. we've now also teamed up with um, junior engineers and the coding club here on the island um, to start to bring all of it together so that we can really multiply and uh, our impact as it were, as it were. So yeah, it's, it's really exciting to see where it's at. Lots of things happening. Great. So we're approaching uh, the end um, and I have some final questions at the, the end here. And the, the one I think is, uh, is important and a, a bit hard uh, because it's hard to predict the future is before like last season, I, I used to ask 
where do where do you see the world in 10 years but because i think that like this time space that we have is lim- is shrinking now i have reduced it to 3 years so ideally where would you like us to be as a society three years from now? And uh, because we need this rapid change. And also, how do you hope to to have an impact yourself? So that is a big question. Yeah. Um, in three years, I would like to see us society-wise, global-wise, not still arguing over whether climate change is real or whether you should care about it or whether you'll have an impact, but that people get to the point where they understand, I don't have to believe all the science, but I have to be doing something and and mm. and, and for the betterment of all. Um, and not just looking at it from their own personal bubble. Um, do I think... The majority of people will be there in three years. I really hope so, but I'm not convinced yet. I think mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of push back and that the energy crisis right now is going to amplify some of that pushback mm-hmm. and the argumentation about using the fossil fuels and so on, you know, because it's, it's this whole interim thing. And um, I'm afraid that the conversations will still be being had and we'll lose invaluable time on on getting forward. So my hope would be that within three years, we've gotten past the worst of that to really be having the breakthroughs to to begin seeing the successes that we need to get the momentum and everybody really on board about what's possible for the future. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds a little bit negative um, and, and I don't like it to be negative because I do believe that there's so many more people who are absolutely committed to all of this. Mm. And just have their voices heard that much more. And to see some of the technology, I mean, there's some amazing things happening from an innovation perspective and sustainability and to see that coming into reality in terms of a practical implementation. And from my perspective, what I can do to help support that is what I'm doing now and putting the focus in and just getting out and and having conversations and talking to people in the same way with women in STEM, women in Mm -hmm. tech and STEM is talking about all of this and and just trying to share my knowledge as much as I can. um, So maybe some little piece will stick with someone um, and and become one more of those drops in the overall Mm, bucket. Yes, exactly. I'm absolutely sure that you will have a big impact and uh, with your background uh, that's uh, that's an, a very interesting aspect of it I think so um, where would people find you the easiest hey, way um, I, I know you mentioned that your website will be launched next week now next month next month yeah. yeah so in the interim the easiest way to find me is on my LinkedIn profile yeah. and just look for Joanne Thurlow and they can connect with me through LinkedIn in, in the first instance um, and yes, next month, my JoeThurlow.com website will be up and live by soft launch at the early part, launch at the early part of it, hard launch, I think around the 21st of September, um, that it should be completely live as a starting point. And, um, but yeah, they just go to my LinkedIn profile. That's the best place to, to, yeah. to catch me. Great. And you also mentioned you have this e-learning course and webinar coming up. So we will share that as well in the... Okay, great. Yes, absolutely. I have um, yeah the e-learning on sustainability and tech. I'm doing in partnership with SDG Monitor. 
um, and we are looking to launch that on October 12th. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a webinar coming up on um, challenges and transitioning your career on October 6th. I think it's going to be with Crimson and, and November 1 on the sustainability and tech, which will be done in concert with strategytransformation.com, where I'm a partner and senior advisor as well, and TIBA, one of their um, managing consulting group companies. Um, so that will be in early November as well. Great. Yeah. Oh, but again, any any questions or whatever, LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, that's the easiest way. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you you have a really busy fall ahead of you. <laughs> I do, I yeah. do. Uh, that's great. <laughs> and I love it. I, 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 I'm just one of those who I can't be sitting around. So yeah, lots happening. Um, and again, I do a lot of posting on LinkedIn as things start to come up and go. So um, there's other things in the pipeline I'm not ready to announce yet. So again, Ooh, we can track exciting. it through there. Yes. Really looking forward to it. Mm, great. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time. And uh, you're working on so many interesting topics. And I look forward to connecting in the future. More. Absolutely. And thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. And I hope um, the listeners find some useful snippets of information and ideas or thoughts from all of this. And, and it's been such a pleasure having this conversation with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, that's it. I really, really enjoyed this conversation with Joanne. And as every time when I get to know a new guest on this podcast, my motivation and energy just bursts through the roof. And I just want to pull up my sleeves and get to work. I really hope that you have some kind of similar feeling. And if you do, please don't hesitate to get in touch and share your thoughts, your ideas or feedback with me or directly with Joanne. Everything mentioned in this episode with links and all the stuff you can find on storiesforthefuture.no. And with that, I wish you a great week and I will talk to you soon. Stories for the Future is made and edited by me, Vestlemar Klavnesberge. You will find all links and information for this episode and everything else related to this podcast on storiesforthefuture.no. If you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you would like to show your support and make it easier for other people to find this podcast, I would be really grateful if you would leave a review. You can also follow me on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn at Stories for the Future. Until next time, go out and make a dent in the world. There's work to be done and impact to be made. And we can actually have a lot of fun along the way. Mm